Hey everyone and welcome back to The Deep Dish, a space where voices will be amplified, respected, listened to, and where the only requirement is that your belief and actions do not hinder the progression of the disenfranchised. It is my hope that my conversations with these incredible guests will be the sweetest treat in your day. Let's get to it. Welcome back to The Deep Dish, everybody. I'm your host, Alyssa Lewis, and I'm excited to announce my guest today. Our next guest has faced adversity and risen to greater heights. He grew up in a small town but found his way out. He always seems the best in everyone and thrives on human connection. He's one of my favorite people. We can talk about anything, and I really do mean anything. He's one of the most loving, caring, and understanding people I know. I was trying to think of the first time I met Ethan, and I really can't remember. Um, As many people, if you listen to this podcast, you would see that I'm not good with time. But what I do know is that from the moment that I met Ethan, um, I knew that I wanted to be his friend. So welcome, Ethan, to the Deep Dish. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for uh, inviting me of all people you know a lot of incredible people so I'm, I'm very honored to be here yeah because you're one of the incredible people um yeah I was and I love that you also listen to the podcast so that you know exactly what I'm about to ask you so what was your favorite childhood dessert I know I feel I feel like this is not fair um you know the first few people you did kind of surprise them with this question, but now that the podcast has been out for a bit, um, I got a leg up. Um, I gave it some thought, and I, I think at the end of the day, it's a Hershey's chocolate bar. Mm, okay, so what childhood memory comes to mind when you think of that? Um, I knew you weren't going to be fond of it as an avid baker. I knew like picking <laughs> something you could just get at CVS, um, but... The reason I that that came to my mind is because it reminded me of my grandmother. Um, we were very, very close growing up. She was like a motherly figure, even partly a fatherly figure, um, and still played the grandmother role as well. And we used to share a Hershey's chocolate bar all the time. And like for me, that's where my love for chocolate came from, was from her and this, this mm-hmm. connection that we had together. And um, that was one thing we always went to is we just would always share a chocolate bar, even throughout my childhood and even into adulthood. That was just this thing that we had. I think that's absolutely adorable. I love that. That makes me understand it a lot more. Um, and so, as I mentioned in the beginning, you grew up in a small town and you grew up in Maine. I, I currently live in Maine. Um, and so I know nothing about small town Maine, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening to this podcast don't. Oh God, it's, it's isolating. Um, you know, everything is, everything is so far away. And I think when, when we're children and and we think we feel this nowadays too, when you move to a new area, it feels vast, right? It feels like, where is everything? Where am I? I'm like floating in nothingness. Um, but then as you get to know this area, you're like, oh. Like, this place is small. I know, you know, I could walk anywhere. But as a child, that takes a lot longer to to happen. And I think for me as a child, I just never felt like I understood that small town. Like, I, oh, no matter, you know, the years passed, I got older, and I knew the place like the back of my hand. But 
it never felt like home. It still felt like I didn't understand this place. Like I'm just not supposed to be here, mm. you know? There are a lot of reasons I felt like that, but even not even thinking about all those external forces that were telling me that I shouldn't be here. It was just this thing inside of me telling me like, this doesn't feel right. Were you targeted by your community growing up once you came out or? Yeah, I just recently learned of a phrase, I guess, like Maine is the Confederacy of the North, I guess, is a saying that some people say. I, I've never heard that before. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it does It does start to feel like that, especially in rural Maine. Um, I came out at, at an interesting time for Maine in particular. Um Gay straight alliances were gaining momentum. Um, gay voices were getting louder. States had already, some had already passed gay marriage, and gay marriage was becoming a hot topic um, legislatively everywhere. Um, people were starting to talk about don't ask, don't tell more. Um, and so that heightened awareness in a way made it easier. But it also meant that so many more people were talking about who I was and who I wanted to love. Um, which also adds a lot of pressure. I was very vocal when I came out. I'm one of those um, gay men that came out with a bang. And it happens different for everybody. And for me, it was, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And that's how I pursue a lot of things in life that hasn't changed. Um, and that was jarring for some people, my father in particular, and my community, my teachers, um, I immediately wanted to start a gay-straight alliance. Um, Maine was just about to start passing gay marriage soon. It was going to be voted on very shortly after I came out. So my entire town was telling me that they didn't like it. Um, my dad wasn't happy. My community had signs on their lawns against gay marriage. So um, again, that external factor of you're not supposed to be here. But one, but one thing that I really do love about you, Ethan, is that you are, in turn, a really great ally to the Black community, I, I strongly believe. There's that one conversation that you and I have that you don't, in some way, shape, form, tie in gay culture to Black culture, you know, really identifying this what was taken from black culture and implemented in, in, you know, in gay culture, what, what made you want to be an advocate to the black community in that way, the LGBTQ black community to be more specific? Oh gosh. I think it just evolved over time. Um, I think, you know, when you face adversity um, and you are part of a marginalized group, I like to think that that makes it easier for you to understand what other people may go through, though you'll never truly understand. You can still be like, okay, I at least know what it feels like to not be welcome here, right? You, and not everyone goes through that. I think we forget that there are a lot of people that never feel that, um, like some groups do. I think my education played a big part in it, honestly. Um, getting my degree in sociology, taking a lot of feminist courses, um, a lot of like queer courses. People don't realize, even in the gay community, the people that have really shaken things up and led to change are queer people of color. And for me, I almost have this feeling of like, 
how do I give back? How do I say thank you, right, to these people that are now dead, these people that have lost their lives for me to be able to, you know, walk around. And we won't even talk about the amount of privilege that I have as a white, gay, male person. Um, but, like, I guess as I started to learn more, I realized, like, I, I owe a debt that I can never fully repay. Um, so I just, I listen and I learn. You can hear the tears coming through, but you know how passionate I get. Um, so yeah, I just feel like I have a debt, I guess. Yeah. Cause I, I, what I think is really beautiful about that is that in spaces where I don't constantly hear that voice, there's an ally to that situation because the one thing that I found to be the most interesting, the more that I learned about the LGBTQ plus community is how racist and fat phobic it is where you would think that it would be welcoming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, that, and that was the part that I was saying, like just because you're part of a marginalized group, group doesn't necessarily mean you're going to fully understand what it's like for everybody or want to stand up for everyone. Um, it's a very deep and complex subject when it comes to the gay community. But I feel like at the end of the day, there's a sense of toxic masculinity that still is pervasive in the gay community. And unfortunately, on the surface, if you look back, a lot of progress has in a way happened because straight passing white men were put at the forefront of the movement. Um, when it comes to actual like political change and political action, um, most recently, Pete Buttigieg, um, you know, the only queer person, honestly, that would have got as far as him is a straight passing white man, right? Um, and that's that's the the person the gay community always puts first is that person. Um, and they do that to themselves. And there, this is a really wide subject, and a lot of uh, the gay community um, are on both sides of the fence on this subject. Some will say um, that has led to change. Um, if we had put those weirdos at the front, maybe I like to say, people would have been like, oh, like those are the gay people we don't want. But by putting these individuals forward that we did, we were able to have change. Um, and of course, on the other side, there's a lot of queer people that say, well, you've inaccurately represented this community. You have not given truth to the full gamut of who we are, and you've actually further suppressed the weirdos. Um, and it's kind of sad because I do see both sides. Um, but yeah, that has, I think, led to um, fat shaming, Asian shaming, um, black shaming in the gay community. Um, it's pervasive. It's, it's sad. And I think it comes from that individual that we've always put forward to represent our community. We've never put the weirdos on the pedestal. Um, and they've just continued to not be shown. Can you tell me, do you remember your first experience having discrimination um, based on your sexual orientation? Um, I can remember a lot when I was a child, but um, when, I, when I think about the first time, there's this one really traumatic experience that always comes to mind that actually happened in Portland, Maine. And 
I was walking a friend to her car. It was late at night. It's after we had gone to a few bars. I was with another queer friend of mine and then um, a straight female friend. Um, she didn't feel comfortable walking back to her car alone. So, of course, we were, you know, escorting her back. Um, and on our way down, we had a gentleman who was intoxicated, a beer in his hand on the side of the street, just start following us. And anytime something like that happens, I personally, I always think it's because I'm gay. You know, who, how would they know it's dark out? I'm not dressed in a certain way, but the first thing I always think is it's, it's it has to be because I'm gay. And as soon as it opened my mouth, because my voice tends to give me away, um, that's when the gay slurs started coming at us. And it just kept escalating. And my friends were very scared. I was very scared. We hastened our pace. We just trying to get away, right? Like you always think when you're in those scenarios, you're like, I'm going to stand up. Like, I'm going to tell them. Not like if it becomes physical, like I will. But when that actually happens, you're fucking terrified. Like, you don't want to because you think, do they have a gun? Do they have a knife? Like, how far are they willing to go? And that's exactly what happened. And fast forward after all that happened, you you have tinges of regret because then you think, why didn't I stand up? Why didn't I protect my friends? Why wasn't I able to do all the things I said that I would do? Um, but it was terrifying, honestly. It was so terrifying. The thing that's interesting about that, Ethan, is that if people knew you, people people would know how empathetic you are. <laughs> that even in that experience, you could find the good in that person. And, you know, I'm a pretty optimistic person, but I've never met <laughs> anyone like you. Where does that come from? Gosh, I knew you were going to ask that. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I've racked my brain because this often gets me in sticky situations, honestly. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about some benefits of it then, right? What's, 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 let's do a pro con list. (laughs) (laughs) What are the benefits of being empathetic? You don't build barriers. I mean, we would never have change in progress if we all didn't collaborate constantly, like everybody, right? And this is more relevant than ever, I think, especially in America. Um, the pros are you you learn, you 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 grow as a person. Because at the end of the day, if if they choose not to, that's on them. But you definitely got something out of it. You you absolutely always do. And what are the, what are the cons? I think some people would say that the cons are. Some people don't deserve to have a chance at the table. That you've you've committed some crime, you you've done something where you've somehow disqualified your ability to be at the table. Um, you know, I I think you know extreme instances are this or like Hitler. Someone would say, you know, everyone pulls the spectrum up, right? Like that's someone who, at the end of the day, no matter what should would have been on the death penalty or death row right if they had been caught mm-hmm. and i allow that to not even be a thought in my head i say no no like they shouldn't have been, they shouldn't if they got caught they should not be killed um because then how are we any different right 
Like, why do we have tef- death penalties? Why, why do we think as soon as someone has this, and we go back to those signs on the lawns in that small town saying, I can't get married. I was the first one to want to have a conversation. Tell me more why. Tell me more about why. Is it, you know, that your religion says that that's just not okay? I respect that. That is completely fine. I believe you can have beliefs, but not necessarily impose them on others. Um, I think there's middle ground everywhere. And that's kind of why I always lean on that empathy. So I like to also think of myself as someone who's who's empathetic, very empathetic. And one thing that I always find with myself is that being someone who can be very empathetic, we tend to get hurt a lot. I think we tend to um, get disappointed a lot. In those moments, what keeps you from saying, you know what, I give up. I, I give up on this person. I, I, I try to be a little selfish. So that's when the piece comes in where, what did I learn? What can I do differently next time? Um, I also think I, I do, it's almost flawed because I do get hurt a lot. And I think that's a really good point. Because um, I will keep trying. I will keep trying and keep trying. And, you know, there are times that I do stop, unfortunately. You know, I think of my mother in particular. That was a conscious choice I made to stop. Um, Because you do, at the end of the day, have to look out for your your own mental health and your own well-being. And there is a point, I believe, where you do have to stop. And it's not that you're giving up on the individual. You know, I I think there's a way for you to say, okay... I've done what I can. We've had conversations. Uh, I've looked at all the ways that I could help and listen and understand. And I think this is where we step away for now. And we can always come back to it. But I think this is when we just say, you know what? We need to step away. Um, That's always an important piece. I think that part that you still always leave it open, right? Because for me, (laughs) if I'm closing the door, the door is closed. Like you you really de-escalate. And really um, do a really good job of playing advocate to both people. And one of my favorite stories, and and I'm going to ask you about what pushed this. So what I love about me and Ethan's friendship is I'm a Christian and Ethan is a non-believer. Um, I think a lot of people believe that you can't have friends that are different from one another. But I think what makes Ethan and my friendship is so beautiful is that we respect one another. Um, But there was this one particular time we were at work and I was, we were around a group of our mutual friends and um, someone had taken the the Lord's name in vain. And I said, ah, I'm really trying not to say that as much. Um, Can we not do that around? Can you not use it around me? And uh, one of our friends um, was like, no, this is a part of my language. And of course I got upset. And then I kind of, thankfully I was, I I was leaving work. But later on that day, that mutual friend had called me and we discussed and they apologized. And it's because I later found out that Ethan had discussed how this is no different than someone telling you, you know, or telling them that they don't want them to use a, you know, a, a, a slur against them. As, as someone who's not a believer, what made you stand up for, for me? I mean, first and foremost, you're a friend of mine. So I would never want a friend of mine to be hurt. 
and I could clearly tell like that that was something that really affected you. And to me, it just seems so silly that someone using a word, just a word, you know, you could make them up, you could just make another word, um, seemed more important than someone's feelings. Um, and I don't know, that just kind of got to me, you know, because I think I'm all for free speech. But at the end of the day, if something that you say can hurt someone, why use it? Like, I guess that I was almost, I was just kind of baffled that like, it's such a simple request. Like, just please don't say that, you know, and you can't do that. I don't know. I, I was just, I remember, I remember that very vividly. I remember that going down. I was just, I was almost confused. I was like, this seems like such a simple thing, you know, like for myself, I identify as queer and some people do not like that word. Um, same with faggot. That's a popular word for a lot of older men, gay men. Um, but a lot of younger men don't like that word because it has been used negatively. Um, and in the queer community, we do have to navigate that space of words and how they make people feel because they can be triggering. Um, and if someone asks you, please don't use that word, I find it offensive or it hurts me, don't use it. It's, I mean, it's, it's so easy to just not use it so you don't hurt someone. I don't know why that's like so hard for people. It's almost like they just want to hurt people. You know, they love the power that a word can give them. It's easy. They can, you can yield this weapon so easily. They can run around saying this word, knowing that it's going to affect someone so much. And maybe it's the power that they get from that. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Ethan, if you had something that you could teach everybody, you could teach everybody in the world, what would you teach them and why? I would just want to teach everyone that caring for someone is easy. Like, I wish I could just teach a class on how to care, you know, like in every form of caring. And and when we're talking about empathy, I mean, when someone gets mad and throws a coffee in your face, how do you show empathy and caring to them still? Um, because it's so easy to care. You know, like if someone does something to you, you know, it's so restorative. You know, a, a kid comes over, TPs your tree or eggs your car, and you get a chance to sit down with them and just say, I, I care about you and I hope that you still have a, a productive and, and hopeful life. That would go a long way for that child. Um, instead of calling the cops, getting them in jail, like pressing charges, right? Like it's actually easier to just care. But in the Bible, right? It talks about if you're basically, if your brother slaps you, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. <laughs> You don't hear that outside of religion much, and I wonder why. Yeah, and I, I think that's why, like, as an atheist, um, there are so many principles in every religion that I love, and I've co-opted for myself. 
I, and that's why I love people that are religion or find some type of faith um, because there's so much wisdom in so many different scriptures. And I don't know why that's not talked about more. I think that's a really good point, Alyssa. Um, it's not easy. That's for sure. I think at the end of the day, that's probably what it is. It's not easy because I think, you know, the first thing in my class would be, it's not going to be easy. And I think it'd be fun to start the class off with uh, maybe something more toned down than throwing coffee in all the students' faces. (laughs) But, you know, it could be taking a screw out of the chair so it falls apart or, you know, putting something stinky on their pencils, like something that, you know, as soon as it happens to you, you think someone did this to me and see what their reaction is. Do they internalize it? Do Are they just embarrassed so they try to play off like it didn't happen? Or are they just overtly angry and want to lash out and start to deep dive into why were those reactions? Why was that your reaction to that? Why? Um, and really just to dissect how we react when bad things happen to us. I know that there are times where it can feel like you're wearing you're wearing the weight of the world really so what do you do to decompress Hmm. yeah that's a good question um i will say this is a skill i learned over time and i'm sure other empathetic people feel it as well and that's a good way to put it it's it's really like this big weighted blanket or even like this backpack that you keep just stuffing things into and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And what used to happen to me is it would get so heavy, I would just drop it all. And that's a disservice to everyone involved because you've invested all of this time. And then all of a sudden you're saying, nope, I can't do it anymore. You know, and I retreat. That used to be exactly what it was. I would just retreat and hide. You know, I would go off of all of my social media. I would stop texting people. I would just cut ties completely and almost take that backpack and just dump it into the trash can. And once it was empty, I'd come back into the world and be like, okay, you know, everyone tell me your problems. I'll solve them all again um, until the backpack is full again. Um, I've learned to say no. Mm. I think I think that's really what happened. I This is something I learned from a, a good friend of mine is, you know, it's a waste of their time and your time if you're not available to take that on right now. And it's okay to say, I can't, I can't do this right now. I can't be that person that you need me to be. Um, and that's not because I don't care about you. Um, remember that you're not the only resource that someone has. Um, and yeah, you just, you got to learn to say no. You got to know when you, when you can take something on. And I've gotten better at this over time. That that is such a a great statement because what my therapist said to me just a couple of weeks ago is, Alyssa, you need to own your choice, right? So what I loved about her saying this is in owning your choice, that means if you said yes, don't start beating yourself up because you said yes. But if you said no, don't start then beating up on yourself like, oh, I should have done it. You said no for a reason. How did you acquire those skills to learn when to say no? Not just how, but when. Through, I think through failure. Um, 
especially when you're an empath and you get older, you just do learn through your experiences. It's tough because I don't think it's a skill that can be taught. Um, you know, it's something that you are, it's something you'll fail at, right? Like I, I've been through so much. I've helped, failed, um, thought I've helped and didn't help so many people. Um, I could write a book and someone, you know, some 18 year old version of me could come along and I could say, okay, let me teach you everything. Um, and it, I wouldn't have enough time and it wouldn't matter. Um, cause I know the 18 year old Ethan and he wouldn't listen to me. Um, he would have said, what do you mean? I can't help all of those people. Or what do you mean? I can't do that. Yes, I can. Um, and I had, I had to fail to learn when to say no. I had to fail to know what I can and can't do. Mm. And I still fail because what I can and can't do will change over time. And, you know, I, I feel better when I fail. And, you know, I think the important piece, and we've talked a lot about this, is just not hurting others. I, you know, I, and I know this can seem like a flaw, but I always just filter. That's my first filter for everything is what am I, what I'm doing is going to hurt someone. Like, and I think if everyone had that filter, we'd be in a better place. I mean, I can't say that enough that you just have to care. Um, cause people feel that. Cause when you say no and you're saying no, because you want to help them and you just can't do it right now, that goes a long way instead of just saying no or trying something. Um, cause you feel bad saying no, like, that goes along. It goes a long way. You said that you, you know, you had to acquire those skills by failing. Um, so, Ethan, what's a life lesson that you had to learn the hard way? Hmm. I, I, there's still so many that I'm learning. Um, I don't know how to put this, but you don't have to go all in to show someone that you care. I think sometimes when I, especially when I was younger, I almost loved too hard. And I'm not talking just like partners. I, I'm talking friends as well. What is that saying? The flame that burns too hot burns half as long or something. Um, you know, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And I've gotten better at this. It's applying the right amount of attention to someone into a situation. I know it seems cryptic, but um, advice that I can give from my own failures would be give what you can give. And don't think that by giving more, which you really aren't, you're just acting like you are, um, that's not always going to play out well for you or the other person. Well, no, I mean, it wasn't cryptic at, at all. I think what you said was is that you had to learn to, to really start caring about yourself, right? You had to learn that there was a limit to your... Um, capacity to handle things and that it doesn't always mean that you don't care or that you know you don't love that person and I think that that's a very hard lesson to learn I know um you have one of the greenest thumbs is that how <laughs> you love plants and animals and so is is that a part of your self-care regimen to ensure that you you keep yourself sane that's part of it um i think that's a good point actually plants they're funny they they have played a really big role in my life but they're like in the background it's it's funny it's almost like they are 
growing inside of me. Like it's constantly growing as a part of my soul. Um, Plants actually have taught me a lot of lessons. And one of them is to be okay with failure. Um, You know, and I think part of knowing when to say no or being okay when you fail is killing plants. You know, I see so many people that say, I love plants, but I I can't have them because I kill them. And it's like, yeah, that's part of it. Um, They die. And you have to be okay with that and learn from it. What could you do differently? If you got another uh, bamboo plant, would you water it less or more? Would you put it in a different window? Um, If you love them, give them another chance. Um, And for me, growing plants is therapeutic. It requires patience right? They don't grow overnight. Um, and I, I do enjoy the caring aspect. Um, working with my hands is something I've always needed as well. You know, growing up in a rural town in Maine, that's, you know, growing up in the woods, basically climbing trees. And it's also a love that my dad had. So I kind of got it from him too. So you, your hope in life is to open a garden center slash cafe, a place where people can come together. How did you come up with this this dream? So when I went to college, one place where I really found my home was in our Gay-Straight Alliance. So a lot of colleges have these safe spaces, right? Um, there's often one for like immigrants. There's always the Gay-Straight Alliance. There's one for women. So different groups can come just to this space and be there together. You do literally anything, study together. Um, it's just a space when you join a college, you know, those are my people. That's where I feel welcome. That was my first foray into a community space. Um, I felt at home. I felt at ease. Then came cafes. So Bard in particular in Portland, um, shout out to them. A lot of the employees that worked there were queer, so there was still that aspect of feeling welcome, but again, still that community space. You could sit there alone, but still feel part of something. You can see people on their first dates, people in job interviews, um, people on their lunch breaks. It was just this community hub, and you got that big billboard, which has like every flyer from a poor missing dog to job openings to a concert that's coming next week. Um, And then also speakers that would come, you know, someone's going to be here next Friday talking about um, urban planning or something, you know, like I've just, I've found a home in these spaces. I like to be alone. A lot of people don't realize this about me. I really like just being alone, but to me, I still have to be around people. It's really weird. I can't sit home alone, but I like to be alone where things are happening. Like I like to be at a cafe by myself because I've got people. I can be more productive when people are around, um, especially if I don't know them. And then combining my love of plants, if you live in Portland, you know if you want to buy a plant or you need soil or you need a pot, there's nowhere to go. If you don't have a car, you don't have access to urban gardening. If you just want to grow some tomatoes on your porch, it's very difficult, Um, especially if you want to support a local business um, and not go to Amazon. So I always thought that this urban 
garden center cafe would just really spark this sense of community and would provide a space for so many people to feel welcome and feel loved and embraced, not just by each other and their peers, but the plants themselves. In a city, you really lose that connection to nature. Um, And I just always thought how perfect it would be to walk into this community space that felt like an urban jungle for your first date or to learn something new about a plant that you want to grow in your space. Um, I just, I picture it in my head and it just looks perfect. The look on your face says that it sounds perfect. I mean, you, you light up when you talk about it, but you also light up when you talk about your community. So what do you love about your community? I, I love how accepting they are. And when I, when I think about my community, I think about when I first met them. And that's kind of like, that's the goal. If I had this space, it makes me think about like the 16 or 14 year old me, you know, like all of those young weirdos and that just need a space. Like that's what I would want it to be. I would want it to be that for them. I would want them to have a space that they stepped into and they can start to discover themselves. Um, Cause I discovered who I was through my queer alliance. That's when I got to meet different people that I've never met before and people that were like me, but also weren't like me. And that's what I love about my community is they're diverse. They're different. They're accepting Like, at the end of the day, the true queer community is pretty freaking cool. Like, they're they're so diverse. Like, I mean, like, everything. They are deaf. They are black. um, They don't speak English. uh, They're different heights. um, Like, they're everything. Like, the queer community is freaking diverse. And they're gorgeous. And they accept everyone. What do you wish people who target and discriminate and are prejudiced against the LGBTQ plus community? What do you wish they knew? I wish they knew how similar they were to us. You know, a lot of that comes from fear. You know, fear that they might enjoy a little uh, anal play. Fear that uh, that attraction they have to their male friend is actually attraction. You know, we're all way more alike than we like to think. And I wish they would just choose to have a conversation, talk to someone that made them uncomfortable. Because at the end of that conversation, I guarantee they'll find at least one thing in common. What impact do you want to leave on this world, Ethan? Mm, That's a hard one. I think often the easy answer is having kids. You know, if you have kids, you can instill some positive traits and hopefully they keep that legacy going on. Um, I don't think I'll end up having kids. Of course, it might happen. So for me, I'd love to at least impact one young person in a positive way. And it could be the smallest way. I don't have big ambitions. You know, I think this is where my atheist comes in, like the true atheist side of me comes in where it's like, I'm going to die and I'm just going to turn to dust and no one's ever going to remember the name Ethan Maselli. Um, And I'm okay with that. But uh, deep down, I would love to kind of be on that deathbed and think back to at least one kid 
that I came in contact with that was either on the precipice of giving up or, you know, just didn't know who they were. And I was that one that came along and showed them love and kindness and acceptance and saved their life. In one way or another, that would be all the fulfillment I would need in a lifetime. You know, you are such a great advocate. I, I can't stress that enough. Not just only for your community, but my community, so many other communities. You know, um, you push yourself to read different literature, to just always remain in the know and unafraid to ask questions. And so I wonder what that young Ethan that was in that small town where people did not understand him and where he didn't feel like he belonged. If you could go back in time to give that Ethan a message, what would you say? I would tell him that he does belong because I feel like I missed out on so much feeling like I didn't belong because all I did was spend my time trying to get away. That's all I did. You know, as soon as I could drive, it was how far away can I drive? Um, you know, who can I meet outside of this town? And at that, that time, it was the height of iPhones and Grinder and, you know, all those dating apps in their infancy. And it was just, how do I get away? And I wish I could just tell them to, like, there are people around you that do love you and accept you. You have friends. Like, school can still be fun. Like, you can still have fun at high school. God, it's the only thing I wish I could change. I wish I could go back because I really feel like I could enjoy it. I really, I know we started this conversation with me saying being in a small town means not feeling like you belong. But knowing what I know now, I really feel like I could have, I really could have enjoyed it. You are one of my favorite people to talk to because I think you're so open, um, so unafraid to be vulnerable. And uh, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And if I could tell everyone that listens to the podcast one thing, it's never stop learning because you're never going to, you're never going to figure out if you're not gay, you're never going to figure out what it means to be gay. If you're not black, you're never going to figure out what it means to be black. But guess what? You can keep learning. You can keep reading. You can keep asking questions. You can keep meeting new people and keep meeting the new ones that make you feel uncomfortable. And where can people uh, contact you? On Instagram, it's... Uh, Ethan vs. The World. That's my main platform, especially for an artist. I love artists. So if you're making original content, no matter what it is, from podcasts, to digital art, illustration, photography, burlesque dancers, like if you've got an art form, uh, yeah, reach out. I will you know, put you on a pedestal as much as I can. Ethan... Thank you so much for blessing my podcast. I hope people learned something today because I know I did. Y'all go follow Ethan. Um, he's a, simply amazing. And I'm just so glad that I had him on today. i see y'all next month. Bye.